Welcome to RevMD, a podcast created for healthcare professionals by healthcare professionals. We will share tips on medical billing and coding, as well as workflow optimization to help practices succeed, thrive, and grow revenue. Welcome back to another week of the RevMD podcast. This week, I have a special guest, and I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. Carolina. Now, before I hand it over, I think it's important for us to recognize why we started this podcast, right? I want to be able to invite guest speakers who can share their experience, share how they've been able to be successful in private practice and grow their own revenue. And so I'm excited to speak with Dr. Carolina today, who can talk a little bit about her background and how she's been successful. So without further ado, I welcome Dr. Carolina. Would you please introduce yourself? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. I'm really happy to be here. Um, So I am Dr. Carolina Sweldo. I am a double board certified um, OBGYN and infertility specialist. So it's a very long acronym, Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility. Um, And basically my path is is a little bit uh, of an uncommon one. My parents are both physicians, but born and raised in Argentina, um, who came to this country in the early 70s. So I was born in Central California. Fresno is my hometown. Um, I was here until about the age of 15, and then we moved. And we moved to Buenos Aires, um, where I actually completed high school and um, did the SATs, did all the things, was planning to come back and ended up staying in Argentina to be close to my family. Um, So I completed medical school in Argentina. I then did my OB-GYN residency here in California um, and matched for my infertility fellowship in Connecticut. So I got to spend three years in the Northeast, which was awesome. I actually really enjoyed my time there. decided that wasn't really the right fit to live long-term though. (laughs) Um, And then ended up taking a a position in Miami. I was young. I was single. It was a great time in Miami. Um, (laughs) The first few years of my career, I met my now husband um, and together we decided to move back to California. Um, And we've been here for almost four years now. So um, since we've been here, there's been a lot of firsts. So, you know, we got married. I had our first house together, um, two babies. So all the things. um, And we're, we're really enjoying our time, our time here in Cali. Oh, that's awesome. And now where are you settled in? Are you back in Northern California? So, so Central Valley, which is Central, Central California. Um, so, so we're in Fresno Clovis area, which most okay. people don't know that city, but if you know Yosemite National Park, um, we're about 45 minutes from there. So we love getting up into the mountains um, on our time off. We love exploring uh, what the state has to offer. So we're about, we're about two hours from everything. So we get to go up into the mountains, we go out to the, to the coast. So it's, it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. I grew up in the East Bay, so California. Oh, well, so you know, yes. I know, yes. And while we're in Denver now, we definitely, you know, California has a special place for us. So that's um, awesome. And so, you know, as you've, you know, grown your career, you've been in different locations, um, you know, how have you looked at, you know, revenue in your practice or whether you're employed or private practice, right? All of that comes into play as you think about how to balance really good patient care, access to care, but also recognizing, you know, that there is this revenue game that you need to play. I mean, tell us a little bit about just how you've approached that um, throughout your practice. 
Yeah. So I think most of us can agree that we get zero education on that um, <laughs> in medical school and in training, frankly, like that just wasn't part of the conversation when I was a resident or a fellow. So um, in my first position as an employed physician in Florida, um, I really didn't have to think about it. I was salaried. I had a, you know, a bonus incentive, but there really wasn't a lot that I had to do. I was given kind of the, you know, this is your super bill. These are the basic codes and, you know, good luck with that. Yeah. What I did notice right out the gates was that in, in, especially in my world and infertility, when I trained in Connecticut, Connecticut is what we call a mandate state. So I'll back up just a little bit. So the, the treatment of infertility um, is not regulated at a national level. That's something that's been left to the states to decide. So there are very few states in this country that actually require payers to cover and uh, to cover fertility testing and treatment. Most states do not have that. So the coverage is really different depending on where you practice. So where I trained in Connecticut, um, most patients had three inseminations and two IVFs covered at 100%, including medication. So when we were counseling patients or when I was learning, the financial piece of it just really wasn't a huge part of the conversation because we didn't have to talk about it because most of them were covered. It really only became part of the conversation once they had exhausted sort of that, that mandated coverage. Now moving to Florida and shifting from fellow to attending, I really, this now all of a sudden I was talking about finances at almost every consultation because people wanted to know, you know, how much is this going to cost? Is this going to be covered? Is that going to, so from day one, from the new patient consult all the way through testing and treatment, it was very much a part of the conversation. And when I talked to patients about the pillars in the decision-making process of treatment, unfortunately, the financial aspect of it is one of those pillars because you know, we offer different treatments. IVF is obviously the most effective and the most successful, but is also the most expensive. So when we're going through the options, everyone's like, oh yeah, well, I want to do that because that's going to get me my results faster. Oh, but wait, you're telling me it's going to cost X amount of dollars. Wait, 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 maybe I'll try something, you know, less, less effective, but also a lot less expensive first. Um, And so it was very much a part of the conversation. And then in my transition to my role here in central California, where I took on a much more of a leadership type role within the practice, I became very keenly aware of how revenue was important because Again, in an infertility practice, most of us have our own IVF lab. We have our own procedure room. I mean, it is massive overhead to run this operation. And so you very quickly realize that revenue, like that has to come in. It just has, there's there's no way otherwise to stay afloat, um, let alone be profitable because you're covering so much overhead. So it's a little bit different than your average sort of doctor's office in terms of the space, in terms of, you know, your, your lease expenses, your procedure room, your, your lab, um, you know, the lab itself is extremely expensive to maintain um, all the equipment and things that are, you know, the media that are needed for the procedures. Um, so those are all things that I became very acutely aware of. The other thing is that reproductive surgery is very much a part of my practice But when I realized I was spending all this time away from my office, and then when the reimbursements were coming in, I was like, wait, I just spent a full day away from my office for this. (laughs) I mean, so it's, you know, so it's, you, and again, you never want to practice 
based solely on revenue, but it definitely becomes a part of the conversation. Um, And so some of the things that we have changed or that we have looked at, so Number one, um, and I would say I, I'm I feel comfortable talking about this more now, seven years into practice, because of the more leadership type role that I have at my current position. But like some of the things that we changed. So number one, if you have a balance walking in the door, we are collecting that balance before you are seen. Yeah. So what was happening before is that that was kind of accumulating, 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 and you know, they're not, as you get further into fertility treatment, the the numbers for the cost of treatment starts to go up. And so those balances were getting to be quite high. And so that's something we, that has been very helpful to us in terms of um, making sure that revenue stream is, is continuing to flow. The second thing was um, from a lab perspective, Um, So we store um, our embryos, eggs, everything on site. So again, just making sure that all those things are up to date, that we're keeping track, that we're actually following up with patients, et cetera, um, you know, with regards to their storage fees and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the third thing was really assessing what are the things that we can bring in-house, Um, and so what, what is the testing or what are the things that we can bring in house versus outsourcing, um, different imaging studies, um, different procedures that we could potentially be doing in house, um, to assist with that revenue stream. And, um, so hopefully that's, that's sort of helpful from on the patient side. Um, the, the big things that we focus on is we really want to make sure that patients get through the consultation and the testing, because that's really going to provide them and us with the most answers in terms of how to tailor treatment. So if they have any sort of underlying disease that is non-fertility, we always try to hone in on those codes as we're doing the evaluation to try and get as much testing as possible covered. Right. And a lot of these things, you know, whether no matter your specialty, right, the approach is always the same. I mean, it's just understanding, okay, gosh, you know, how do we collect money when, you know, there is a balance and making sure that the, you know, the patient responsibility piece is taken care of. And while that's never a fun conversation, I think as we educate patients on, okay, what does a copay mean? What does a deductible mean? What does coinsurance mean? And how am I responsible? And who sets those fees? That makes that conversation a little easier. Now, granted, you are in a in a field in an area where there is more cash pay, but that conversation and the tactics around that still to me seems, you know, similar, right? Absolutely. And I think it was really, really interesting. Um, And I'm sure many of your listeners experienced this. We were terrified. We were like, you know, this is going to be a change. What are people going to say? You know, it it was very nerve wracking when we first started doing it. And what was so interesting to us is that there really was very little pushback. Once the patient was explained and educated and understood, there really was very little pushback um, from the patients in, in that in that change. That that was I think it was more our anticipatory fear than than actually like what played out. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we're starting to work with practices and even suggesting, you know, trying to keep a credit card on file, trying to, you know, pay or or auto um, charge those credit cards, you know, under a certain balance, right? Obviously, if there's a really high balance, you may want to give someone a heads up or double check. And and there seems to be some acceptance of that, right? That seems to be becoming a lot more normal for folks to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's not, 
always fun to have those conversations, whether it's with your staff or your patients to go, okay, how do we make sure we're assessing what our expenses are, assessing what our revenue is. And like you said, building that business case to say, okay, here's some high expenses. What can we do to decrease that? Whether that's bringing it in-house or, um, you know, finding a different vendor. I mean, it just depends on what it is, right? You kind of have to be able to have that brain to sit down and, and think through those things. Yeah. And I definitely think sort of making the time for it is super important. Um, and, and, you know, regular meetings with your biller also, I learned super important, um, because, Yes, they're, you know, they're doing their job, but you need to understand what they're doing as well. Like it can't be completely outsourced that you don't understand kind of what's going on because you can provide insight or you can understand things um, that maybe they don't and vice versa. Yeah, that's one of the number one things we're helping, not even, not just our clients, but our, our listeners, right? I mean, for our billing clients, we are certainly, you know, very much probably over communicators, especially in the beginning as we're transitioning. Sure. You know, I mean, I'm emailing, my husband's emailing, our billers are emailing. Um, we are absolutely uh, fanatics around the data. I like to show, you know, 12 month trends, you know, monthly performance, um, regular check-ins. I mean, it's just critical. And if you have an in-house team, you know, definitely need to do that same thing, right? There should be no difference whether you outsource it or you uh, have that service in-house. So definitely, definitely. And then one other thing that's been happening across the specialty, and I think this is true, you know, for most, and I would say hopefully most specialties, but um, definitely across infertility is the price increase of going through treatment. Um, from when I started, let's say I finished fellowship in 2015 to now, excuse me, to now, you know, the, the price of treatment across the board has gone up and it's never, it's never a fun thing. But again, just like with what we were talking about earlier with the balance collection, when you explain and you give patients a heads up and it's not kind of dropped on them as a surprise, um, we actually, both in Florida and here in California, um, did not see a huge pushback from patients. Like they, they understood, you know, this is, unfortunately, this is part of the trend as inflation goes up and, and other things become more expensive as well. Yeah, we're seeing that all over the place. Gosh, anything mm-hmm. from housing stuff to mm-hmm. uh, construction. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything's just going up right now. So that's good to hear that patients are also understanding that. It, you know, I don't think any of us are enjoying that, but it is what it is. Exactly. <laughs> it exactly. is what it is. It's a necessary, uh, exactly, a necessary thing, unfortunately. Yes. Um, all right. So I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. So yeah. I know that you have started some educational resources and would love to hear more about what you're offering and things you're talking about, what's going on outside of your day-to-day work job. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. So I, I think I really was propelled into sort of the online spaces, um, really driven with the motivation that patients were coming in and they just really had this like deer in headlights look. Like they were coming to me and for the first time in maybe two, three, four years since they'd been trying, we're starting to hear about, you know, different diagnoses or, or different diseases or whatnot. And then on top of that, having to be educated about the treatments, the cost of treat, like, you know, it's just, it's a huge balloon that's extremely overwhelming to patients. And so really 
kind of drove my passion for education, because if the patient comes in educated and empowered, then they're going to be able to understand and take on, you know, something as big as IVF, because it is, it is, it is like a major life event. So over the last couple of months, I've really um, started to cement my online presence on Instagram and Facebook. So patients um, and providers, honestly, there's a lot of great resources there for providers as well, can find me on both um, both platforms at Dr. Carolina Sweldo. And then I recently launched a YouTube channel, just short, quick 10-minute videos once a week um, with little snippets of things that, you know, those, those questions that you wish you had your doc in, in your back pocket and you're like, oh, let me pick up the phone and, and just quick question. Let me just ask you this one quick question or, you know, your patient's like, Oh, you know, email you this one quick question. So my goal was to try and address those quick questions, um, in those YouTube videos to try and, um, assuage some of the patient's concerns in between visits. So I'm I'm YouTube is the same as, um, Instagram and Facebook all under my name, Dr. Carolina Sweldo. And then um, in my uh, Instagram, I actually have a link to uh, monthly Q&A sessions that I'm doing for patients. And those are free of charge for patients and providers, frankly. Um, if they have questions about fertility, the goal, again, is you know to raise awareness and, and educate and empower. So I'm sort of in, in all the things right now, but really with a mission to educate and empower. Oh, that's great. And so what is the best place for folks to reach you? Should they, I know you shared yeah. your... I would start with my Instagram account because that's going to give you the link to the webinars. And then I'm always posting about my YouTube channel there. So I would definitely start there. Um, You can always, you know, comment on my posts or DM me separately um, with questions. I don't give medical advice over social, but I'm definitely happy to kind of um, educate and provide some direction. Oh, that's great. And then just for the audience, can you spell your name so that they can go and find you on Instagram and look at all these amazing resources? Yeah. So Carolina is spelled like North and South Carolina. Um, And then my last name is Sweldo. So S-U-E-L-D-O. So hopefully that's easy enough. That's great. And then I'll also have a link to the to your Instagram uh, and your stuff uh, at the bottom of the podcast. So folks can just click away and, and head straight and have um, all of these great resources at their fingertips. So um, I really appreciate you coming on today. You know, I think it's just always great to hear from other physicians and how they're approaching um, their own practice with regards to revenue and how they're, you know, also educating parents um, or patients, I should say, as well as physicians. And it's just such a great thing that I think more physicians are getting into. And I'm just so impressed with what you're doing and all the stuff that you've started to create. So I'm excited to see um, that uh, content grow. Thank you so much, Heather. Yeah. And I love that you're doing this podcast because I said at the very beginning of our talk, we never got this education. This was never something that was taught to us. This was a learn on the job type of thing. Um, And so I think having resources like what you're providing, and I know you um, had a webinar recently, right? The metric mastermind. So we're talking all about billing metrics that any practice, regardless of their subspecialty, can track and trend. So they have an idea of Gosh, am I in the right direction? How are things going? Especially if you're, if you have outsourced it or if you don't have direct oversight of your in-house biller, it's so critical to be monitoring these metrics. I just want to thank Dr. Carolina for coming and joining us today. It was such a great interview and so exciting to know about all of the resources you're creating for your patients and for others out there. So appreciate you coming and look forward to seeing all that you have grow. 
As always, if you are enjoying this podcast, please share it with a friend or two. And if you're looking for a new medical billing team, please reach out on our website, nationalrevenueconsulting.com.